Well, welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. My name is Greg, and I am so glad that you are listening right now. Listen, man, life is hard, but we are here to help you. And so I hope you enjoyed today's message. And man, our, our, our real prayer and our real hope is that, that the message today will help you take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. You know, 10 years ago, my wife and I were living in San Antonio, and we had two kids at the time, and it was really a safe and a comfortable life. It's a pretty good life. But there was this stirring. There was this prompting. It, it was a holy discontent to, to relocate our family to Miami, right here along the U.S. 1 corridor, just right outside these windows, to help start a church a gathering with, with a clear mission, a simple but extremely challenging mission to help people. Life is hard. We're here to help. To help people, as many people as possible. You, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you love. To help people... Find and follow Jesus. See, Jesus is our message. Jesus is our mission. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And along the way over these years, we have met the most amazing, incredible people. In fact, I would argue with you, maybe fight with you, that the best people in the world live right here. And I don't want to hear from any of you New Yorkers. Right here, the best people in the world. But when it comes to Jesus, like the idea of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the mission and the purpose of Jesus, the majority of people we have met in our community, maybe even all the people we have met in our community, fall into the category of, of not sure. I mean, call them a skeptic, call them an explorer, but just not sure. And the reality is, all of us fall into this just not sure category. I do. I have questions. I have doubts. Some of my dearest friends, I mean, people that I love, some of you listening to my voice right now, when it comes to the idea of Jesus, it's like, well, I'm okay with Jesus. You're not anti-Jesus. I mean, Jesus seems like a good guy. He, he's a great teacher. There's some really good life principles. Jesus was a, was a moral leader, and, and, and he's okay, right? And, and there's just general belief, like in God, like there's a God or this higher power idea, or there's something or someone up there. And the posture for, for the majority is, I'm okay with Jesus, but, you know, life is happening, and it's really busy, and there's lots going on, and I'm doing stuff, and I'm just trying to make it through the day. But here's the problem. This is, this is the problem of Jesus. Is Jesus actually doesn't allow us to take this posture. I mean, in a sense, it's like he pushes us in the corner and forces us to decide. I mean, any honest look at Jesus, you can clearly see that Jesus goes way too far and that Jesus says 
way too much. I mean, if you really look at what Jesus says, if you really look at what he does, I mean, if you examine the evidence, if you take an honest look, it's unsettling. It's uncomfortable. I mean, look, I mean, what does he say? What does Jesus do? I mean, is there anything more scandalous to the modern skeptic than the idea that Jesus is the only way for someone to find God? I mean, the only way to experience salvation, the the only way to find our way back to God. I mean, this is very exclusive. This is very narrow. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the right way. And every other way of trying to find God is wrong. (laughs) Oh, hold up, big man. This is not a popular idea. This repels our country, I mean, our culture. This is seen as judgmental, bigoted, and narrow-minded. Hey, don't kill the messenger. But, but look. I mean, look, look, let Jesus speak for himself. Look what he says, John 14, 6. Jesus' words. Jesus answered. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty clear. It's pretty direct. You don't need a master's degree in theology to understand what he's saying. Jesus says, I am. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. And nobody, no person, no woman, no man comes to God, connects with God, our Heavenly Father, except through Jesus. I mean, this this is why true Christianity says it's, it's not that Jesus is blazing a trail or giving us right teaching or pointing us along the true path. Rather, Jesus is saying he is the path. Jesus, he isn't saying, hey, listen to me, and you'll get on the right bus. Look what he says. He's saying, I am the bus, the only bus. I mean, look further. It's it's all through Jesus' teaching. Look look again. Jesus again. Look what he says. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus' words. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter there. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I mean, again, Jesus' words. I mean, this is the exact opposite of everything our culture teaches, right? Do what you want. Do what feels right. Do what makes you happy, and Jesus says, yeah. Yeah, you can, but that gate is wide. That gate is broad, and it leads to destruction. It leads to death. Now, this is hard to hear. I mean, this is hard to preach. I mean, come on. I like to be liked, but this is what Jesus says. Jesus claims to be the only way, the exclusive way to God. And his claims, they, they collide with us. They, they challenge us. And Jesus says, hey, we can't save ourselves. That no religion, no behavior, no worldview can save us. That salvation, that connection to God is not about what we do for God. It's rather about what he did for us. And this, again, this is coward. This, this flies in the face of everything that we think everything that we feel, everything that we've been taught. In fact, his followers picked right up on what he said. 
Peter, one of his closest friends, who uh, is a follower, he has a message uh, about Jesus, and he stands in front of this group in Acts 4, and he says this. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is, look, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So here we are. I mean, based on what Jesus says. I mean, based on his claims. We, we kind of have to go one to two ways. It, 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 one way is just like, well, forget about it, man. I'm not, I'm not going to do, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm good. And we can just walk away and we can reject and like, hurry up, bro. I'm trying to get to lunch, right? Or we, we got to do business, with what Jesus says and what he claims, we have to look at the evidence. We have to investigate it. We have to explore it. We have to, we got to go after it. Because based on what Jesus says, based on his claims, Jesus is either crazy, like, like a deranged, psycho, madman claiming all kinds of crazy stuff, or he is actually who he says he is. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the way or the only way to God. You know, here at Miami Church, our, our mission and our purpose to help people fall, find and follow Jesus, I mean, really what we're trying to do is inspire you or challenge you to explore, to look at the evidence, to go after it. And I get it, right? There are churches and faith communities in our city and ones that I've been a part of that you would not dare voice your questions or your doubts or your skepticism because you would fear you would be judged or someone would look down on you or, or, or maybe you fear some kind of cheesy answer to, to your questions like, well, just believe, brother. You hear that one? Well, just believe, brother. Well, well no. See, as a church... We've been in this conversation now for a couple of months called The Problem of Jesus. And the idea is we've been exploring and asking questions. And personally, through these couple of months, I have been growing and learning. And I'm becoming more and more curious. And I'm seeking and I'm finding. And I'm doing it together in community. And, and what's so interesting is, again, this is the culture we're trying to create. But, but we're not the first people with questions or doubts. We're not the first people to go, you know, no, I'm not sure. I mean, what's really interesting to me is on the very first Easter, on the original Resurrection Sunday, if you look at the main characters in the story, they're in the same category as me. I'm not sure. I mean, look at how it's recorded. John records this in his Gospels, and he, he calls people out. Just like they are. He doesn't make them the hero. He, he shows their warts. He shows their doubts. Look what he says, verse 1. He says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Okay, so it's the first day of the week. Again, in that culture, Sabbath ended when the sun comes up on Sunday morning. Okay, he says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. All right, so she goes to the tomb where they buried Jesus. Now, a little context. Mary Magdalene is a woman that Jesus had healed, and when he healed her, she became a follower. She was a follower. And like all of his followers, she had these high hopes for Jesus, that he was, in fact, 
everything he claimed to be, that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. And so she gets up early on that Sunday morning. And even though her heart is broken because he's been, he was killed, and even though it doesn't make sense to her, she's so grateful for what Jesus had done for her that she decides to go to the tomb and see if some people, or lots of people, will help her roll the stone from in front of the tomb because she wants to re-embalm or re-prepare his body for burial because it was rushed on Friday before Sabbath. So she goes to the tomb. And John tells us, she gets there, and she saw that the stone, again, this is a massive stone, had been removed from the entrance. Now, notice her reaction. Again, this is what makes this so good. Her reaction is a, I'm not sure reaction. Why? Because she went to this tomb to re-embody a what? A body. She expected a body. But she gets there, and she sees the stone is gone, and that the tomb is open, and how does she react? Does she like, well, hey man, Easter, he's alive, risen, he's risen from the dead, this is awesome, it's the first, no. See, she thought someone had broken into the tomb and stolen the body. Why? Because she was not expecting a resurrection. So look what she does. She sees it, verse 2. She, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Now we've looked at this before. It's, it's always interesting to me that John, who's writing this, he writes himself into the narrative as the one that Jesus loved. He doesn't use his name. And so Mary sees the tomb. She runs all the way back to the city. She runs to the house where Peter and John are. Now, here's Peter and John. It's Sunday morning. The sun is coming up. They're not up, right? They're not at the tomb. What are they? They're, they're hiding. Because they're thinking, hey, if they got Jesus, they can surely get us. And, and everyone knows that we're his followers. So they're in fear, right? Again, none of these guys are written as the hero. And so Mary, she, she bursts through the door early in the morning, right? And here's what she, she just blurts out, right? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now again, this is logical. It made sense, right? Jesus had a lot of enemies, they hated Jesus. In fact, they hated him so much that they lied about him. They paid witnesses to have him not just in prison, but killed and crucified. So it would make sense, right? When Jesus' enemies learned that Pilate had allowed someone to take his body and to bury it properly, they would hire someone, break into the tomb, get rid of the body, dispose of the body, because the last thing they wanted was for the tomb to be a place where Jesus was buried to become some kind of shrine where people would come and gather and keep the dream alive. And so Mary Magdalene, when she sees that the, the stone is gone, she assumes the worst. And in her mind, the story was getting worse and worse and worse. First of all, Jesus had allowed himself to be taken a prisoner. Then he, then he allowed himself to be tried in this fake trial. And then they crucified him. And now, to top it off, his body has been stolen. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, again, John writes himself in the story, they started for the tomb, and they're both running. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. Okay? So Peter calls himself the other disciple. Okay, so they take off from, their, from their, where they're staying. Okay, they're running. I love the detail here. John's like going like, I'm faster than Peter, right? So, so John arrives at the tomb, but, but look how he writes himself in. It says, it says he gets there, he bent over, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Why didn't he go in? Like, why'd you stop, John? Well, it's dark, it's a tomb. 
It was uncertain. I mean, he's showing fear. It's interesting that John records the story with such honesty. He doesn't make himself out to be the hero. So verse 6, he says, Peter came along behind. He finally catches up. And Peter doesn't stop. He goes straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in place separate from the linen. And so Peter's in his tomb. And he's got to kind of be like in his mind going like, well, this doesn't make sense. If someone broke in to, to steal the body of Jesus, why would they have taken time to unwrap him and leave the wrappings there? John says, finally, he went in, and and he reached the tomb, and he went inside, and look what he says. He saw, and he believed. (laughs) I love this line. After all these years of following Jesus, after everything he's seen, after everything he's, he's witnessed, after all the teachings and the healings and walking and talking and sharing meals, after all of these years, John simply says, this was it. This was the event. This was the moment, and John, his world was changed. And the resurrection reframed his entire life. And all his questions, and all his doubts, and all his uncertainty, and all his not understanding, and his all is not sure, this was the moment that reframed everything. And everything Jesus had said, everything that Jesus had taught, it all came flooding back to him. He went, it's all true. John says, I saw and I believed. Now, we don't have time for the entire story of John 20 this, today, but, but if you fast forward a little bit, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, and then after that, Jesus appears to his other disciples. But if we fast forward to verse 24, this is interesting. Look at this. It says, verse 24, Now Thomas, who's one of the twelve disciples, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen Jesus. So Jesus appears to the disciples, but for some reason Thomas had a dental appointment. He's not there. And so the other ones are there, and they're all like like excited, and they're pumped up. And they're like, like, Thomas, we've seen him. And I love Thomas' reaction because it feels a lot like me, maybe like you, a little not sure. I mean, look, look what Thomas says. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, just believe, brother. Like, no, 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 nope. I'm going to need a little more than that. I'm going to need some proof. I'm going to need some evidence. I'm going to need some facts, some, some hard facts. And I love this. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there. And through though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And he looks at Thomas, and he says, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my stock. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God. And Thomas saw... And Thomas believed. But the next line may be one of the most powerful lines in all of John's gospel. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I mean, here's Jesus. He's looking at Thomas. 
But in that moment, he transcends that moment, that room, that time and place. And he looks into the future. And he sees you. And he sees me. And Jesus is saying this for you. He's saying this for me. Look what he says. Blessed are those who will believe based on eyewitness accounts. Blessed, like more blessed, are those who have not seen. They have not seen with their own physical eyes, but yet they believe. That's you. That's me. Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet who still believe. And then John does something remarkable. In fact, in, in, in film, uh, in filmmaking, it's called breaking the fourth wall. And, and what it is is when the actor breaks character and looks directly into the camera and addresses the audience, right? A famous illustration, this is like Ferris Bueller. And it's as if here John looks directly at the camera and, and he says this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in front of his disciples that are not written down in this book. But listen to me. These, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you believe this, you will have life because you belong to him. He says, hey, may his story, may this eyewitness account, may it awaken, may it awaken you to a new faith, may it awaken you to belief, or, or maybe you have faith, may it revive your faith that's already been awakened so that you can know and so that you can experience that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his son and I was an eyewitness to him, and I recorded his account. And I didn't get it. I didn't fully understand it. And ultimately, they, they tried him, and they killed him, and they put him on a cross, and at that point, I thought it was over. But then, I ran to the tomb on that first Easter, that first resurrection, and, and I was scared to even go inside. But finally, I did. And when I saw the, the linen that had been wrapped around his body, I saw it, and I believed. And I'm telling you this because I want you to experience the same thing I've experienced, that you can have life in his name, that there is a God who loves you, and he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price so that you can be connected to him. And he is the way. He is the path. He is the bus to be connected with God. And I want you to know this because you got to know how much he loves you. And friend, that was the story on the first Easter. And that's the same story today. And you and I, we have the opportunity to awaken to a new faith, to, to, to maybe revive our faith that's already been awakened. Friends, can I just pray for you? I pray that, that you, your eyes would be open, that your heart would be open to a God who loves you so much that he gave everything for you because he, he longs to be in a real, authentic, intimate relationship with you. 
And He created you, and He shaped you, and He, and he made you. And He has you here at such a time as this. And you're listening to my words for such a time as this. And I pray that your, your faith would be awakened. That you would see and believe. That you would take the eyewitness accounts, take the testimony, take the, the evidence and look at it. And that you would see and believe. And so God, I believe. And I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you went so far to the point of death to the point of resurrection, you went so far for me because you love me, not because of me or what I've done or, or any goodness on my part, God, just because of your pure love and grace. So, God, I just accept that today humbly and say thank you. And, God, I want to follow you to the best of my ability and serve you with my whole self, God. And so I thank you for each individual, each, each family, there's a part of this amazing place. And God, may we just continue to help people find and follow you. And so we celebrate you on this beautiful Easter. And we pray because of what Jesus did. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email at hello at mywechurch.com. Also, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any future conversations. I hope our time together inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey.